0: Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, is where we'll be today, and uh, you guys probably are very familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, and oftentimes... We may see people do some act of kindness in the world, right? And we look at them and we point and go, wow, that's a really good Samaritan. Way to go that they did that. But those of you who know your Bibles pretty well and know biblical culture will also know that Samaritans were not well thought of or liked or admired by Jews in Jesus' day. So I'd like you to think a little bit about maybe someone or some group of people that you struggle to like. And what would happen if you saw someone you don't like at all do an incredibly good, kind thing? How might that change your perspective? How might that change how you live out your faith. Because we're going to read here in a second about he's described as a lawyer, but he's not a secular lawyer. He is one who knows the Torah, the Old Testament law, and seeks to live by it. And he would pass any Bible trivia, quiz, or test that you gave him. He has the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Books that sometimes when you try to read through the Bible in a year, you can't even read through. Me too. He has those books memorized. Word for word. That's his training. That's his expertise. That's his education. And he sees Jesus as one with authority. One who does not teach like he teaches. And sometimes people can look at someone that is a lot better than them, and they go, wow, I want to learn from this guy. And then sometimes people look at someone a lot better than them and go, "Uh uh-oh, they're a threat. I need to find a way to either take them out or make them look foolish so I can still be superior to them. The Bible says that as this lawyer asks this question, that he did so to test Jesus. Earlier in the week, I was wanting to give this dude the benefit of the doubt. Because he actually asks a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Guys, there is no better question than any of us can ask on the face of the planet than this question. So last time I checked, the death ratio is one to one. Every single one of us are going to die someday unless Jesus comes back. And this man is saying, hey, I want to know, basically, in our vernacular, how does somebody get to heaven when they die? What's amazing is, even though the death ratio is one to one, every single one of us are going to die, there are very few people in the world that are actually asking themselves that question and preparing, huh, I wonder, what do I need to do? Is there anything I need to do before I die to guarantee that I'm going to go to heaven when I get there? So I thought, well, man, that's such a great question. Maybe he's a genuine seeker and he really wants to know. But then you read his resume and go, this dude had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. It appears as though his motivation is not what it should be. He goes up to Jesus not wanting to turn his eyes to him because he loves him and admires him and sees him as heroic. He goes up to Jesus in front of a big group of people to test him and to try to snare him in some kind of trap. What's amazing is Jesus has lots of different ways that he could have handled this situation. Okay? he has all power as the son of God, right? If he wanted to, he could just make the dude deaf and dumb in that moment and go, you don't get to talk anymore because you tried to test me. The power of Jesus is that Jesus cares about the one who has an ill motive in coming to him even. You see, we look at things and we go, good guys and bad guys. And here's a little bit of NFL, okay? But the Ravens did not show themselves as the best fans a few weeks ago. They didn't quite show the best sportsmanship. If you're a Ravens fan, let's just look at the objective truth. There were a few fouls and penalties there that were a little bit over the top. And in that way, in some ways, it was kind of easy to cheer against them and see them as the bad guy, even though I'm sure there's some good guys on that team. And I'll probably get a little bit of input after the sermon for what I just said. But in the sports world, right, there are teams that we go, oh, well, I don't really know who I should cheer for because I like this team, but I also like this team. And then there are sports rivalries where we're like, I am for sure, no matter what, cheering against this team. I have heard, even a few people in our congregation, will pray for you, they feel that way about the Chiefs. A lot of the world has kind of said, hey, Chiefs, you've made it a lot of times now. It's time to get out of here and let somebody else do it. Amen. <laughs> anyway... We tend to work that way, right? Just naturally. And in the sports world, we go, okay, that's fun. It's kind of all ton in cheek. But the crazy thing is, then there are other alliances where we look and go, okay, well, this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. And what's interesting is the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the religious leaders of Jesus' day looked at themselves as the good guys. And they looked at nearly everybody else as less than, not important, not ceremonially clean enough to approach the presence of God within the temple. And they set up rules and parameters and boundaries to make sure that your common person or heaven forbid your thief or criminal or prostitute or addict would never ever get to the presence of God at all. And then they could walk around smug and happy that, hey, we are the good guys here. And we can look at that and go, wow, that sounds like actually they are the bad guys. Except be careful. Because we all have this smug arrogance about us also if we look at ourselves closely in the mirror. There are people who we look and go, well, you know, I mean, they're just, that's just those people. And however you would define those people, here you have Jesus going, there is no such thing as those people people. There are human beings that have been created in the image of my heavenly father with worth and value. And I left heaven to come down to earth to teach them how to live. I died on a cross in their place to forgive them of their sins. And I am now sitting beside the father praying that each man, woman, boy, and girl embraces the security that we can have because of faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus cares about the outsider and the insider. And really, to truly understand this parable of the Good Samaritan, it should rock our world. I'm not saying that one application of this parable is not go and be a good neighbor. That is definitely one application. Okay, and it's an important application. It's bad when Christians are bad neighbors. That's not good. But it's supposed to rock our world even more to go, who is our neighbor? And even better, who was the neighbor? And who continues to be the neighbor who loves God with all they have and loves their neighbor as themselves. Luke 10, beginning with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your spirit. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would speak both to me and through me, and that we all may come to love you more, And know you better, Jesus, as a result of this time that we spend looking to you and your holy word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's uh, not a bad teaching tactic to ask questions. It's actually... Much better, I have discovered, to ask questions if you're genuine in asking questions than to make statements, which is kind of interesting because the very act of preaching or teaching in lecture style is more of a making statements than an asking questions. But there is lecture, and then there is discussion and interaction. What's crazy is Jesus has just taught some things think. Hold on one second. He's rejoicing. There's a group here. And by the way, in backstory in Luke 9, I think it's around verse 51, it says that at that time, Jesus set his eyes toward Jerusalem. And this is a pivot point for the gospel of Luke, where before Luke nine fifty something Jesus is getting his ministry started, and now he's headed toward Jerusalem, which is, I'm going to go and I'm going to die in the place of sinners. But then he sends out 72 people, two by two, to do missionary work, and he gives them authority to preach and teach and heal and cast out demons. And the 72 come back and their jaws are on the ground and they're like, Jesus, this was incredible. We saw healing and we casted out demons. Even the demons do what we tell them in your name. This is incredible. And Jesus responds in the most unique way. He says, yes, I saw Satan fall. And you're right. But don't rejoice and that. Rejoice that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus immediately re-centers them. Do they have authority and power because of the Holy Spirit? Yes, they do. But what is the most important thing Jesus wants them and you to camp out on if you have faith in Jesus? Your name has been written in the book. Why do you think Jesus says that? I think maybe Jesus knows how subtly pride sneaks into our lives. Let me give you a quick example not the necessarily best movie, but have y'all watched, been a while, Bruce Almighty? <laughs> he has been or, uh, endowed with godlike ability, right? And boy, it doesn't take very long before he gets really cocky, really fast. And he's pointing his fingers and doing all this stuff. He parts his tomato soup like the God parted the Red Sea. It's all this stupid stuff that he's doing. And then he begins hearing voices in his mind, and it's the prayers of God's people. And he's trying to answer them, and he's sent all these emails out, and he's Typing a million miles an hour. And then he's like, wait a second. There's just another couple million more prayer requests that came in. And he's like, okay, the answer to all requests is yes. Everybody won the lottery. Which meant everybody got like a dollar and 53 cents. It's interesting. I guess everybody prays to win the lottery. The movie though it has some inappropriate parts, tells a story of how bad we are at being God and how good God is at being God. But every time that pride creeps in, we begin to think we're pretty good at being God. And I If I was one of the 72 and I was experiencing God healing through my hand and casting out demons through my hand I don't think it would take very long before I'd start strutting my stuff and going yep I'm all that in a bag of chips I got this and Jesus says no it's me you want to rejoice in something rejoice in the fact that I knew you before you were born I called you by name and I brought you to myself center it there. Jesus has that counsel for his own followers. And now you have an expert in the law that comes up to Jesus. And the sad thing is that his head is so divorced from his heart. And I don't know why he chose to enter this field of study of theology in the first place. It was prestigious back then. So he may have entered in in the way that a lot of people look at what are the most prestigious, highest paying jobs today. And I want to go and do that because I want that prestige and I want that money and I want all the other things that has with it. Maybe he did it for that reason. Or maybe when he was a kid, he did experience the love and grace and mercy of God. And maybe from a little boy, when he memorized the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter six, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, he meant it. It's like, God, I want to learn how to do that because you love me. And he enters into this field of study. Maybe he goes to Bible school, seminary school, whatever that may be. And something just like goes incredibly wrong. And it becomes more about I've got the right answers. And I'm going to show myself as strong and mighty and intelligent. And I will be top dog And guys, the truth is we do live somewhat in a dog-eat-dog world. And that there is this temptation sometimes for us to say, I'm going to do what it takes to lift me up and I don't care who I have to step on along the way. And Jesus says, no, that's not about what real life is. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus answers this guy's question with another question. I forgot who told me, but somebody once told me, and I have found it to be true. When someone asks you a question, always listen for the question behind the question they ask. Because the first question that they ask you is often not the question that they really ask are hungering for. So what's the first question? Very theological in nature, even though it's a very good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Some people who are like, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, which we all hold to and adhere and believe here at the bridge. But they get really, really nervous when they go, Jesus didn't immediately correct the guy and say, it's not about what you do. Jesus wants to get to the heart of where this guy is. So Jesus says, well, what's written in the law, you know the law, how do you read it? The guy passes the test. Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes, "Good. Do this and you will live." And then some people go, "What? Did Jesus just teach works righteousness? What happened here? Well, let's look closely at what that entails. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind. That's the Bible verse for middle schoolers at Evangelical this week. They're creative. You know what they did? I said, guys, there's a really important word repeated In this verse, what is it? Somebody raises their hand and goes, and. (laughs) Yep, that's one of them, but I'm thinking about something a little more important than that. What's another one? With. (laughs) Like, guys, what is it? It has three letters. Oh, all. And I'm like, yeah, what's that mean? That's all. That means in the morning before I have a coffee. That means when somebody is going 30 miles an hour in a 45 mile per hour zone, okay? That means when customer service is bad. That means when your kid acted up for the umpteenth time and you want to shake them, but you know you shouldn't. (laughs) All. And people are like, yeah, but I mean, you can, you can love God and still get mad at the person going 30 miles an hour and you can still be a little grumpy before caffeine and you can still sometimes shake your kid. Except, I'm gonna ask James to pull up a slide here that is very small and it's, on, it's small on purpose because Jesus really meant something here. Is it up there? Yeah, Okay. Love one another. And guys, this is not all inclusive of all the times that it says that in the Bible. And what Jesus is saying is if there are two great commandments, love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself, you have a vertical relationship with God and then a horizontal relationship with everybody else. And it has often been said, and I don't like to say it because it convicts me every single time I say it, that if your horizontal relationships with other people are really off, you cannot legitimately say my relationship vertically with God is really good. That doesn't mean that you aren't sometimes going to have disagreements or frustrating moments with other people. But it does mean that if you're loving God with all of you have, that you're going to see people the way God sees people and exercise supernatural grace and mercy and love and patience and forgiveness toward people that you would otherwise, if you're very smug in your own self-righteousness, go, well, that person doesn't deserve forgiveness. Oh, and you do? You see, it's a very dangerous place when we move from one who has been saved to, by grace, to think that somehow we are made righteous by our works. Now, there is a place for works, and we'll get to that. But there is a starting place of saying, actually, Jesus is telling always 100% the truth. And he is saying, if you do this dude, if you love God with all you have and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will inherit eternal life. You will. Problem is, this dude underestimates that he can do it. And he begins I think to go, oh, "Okay, cool." And then he thinks about neighbor. And he goes, "Uh, wait a second. And it says, he's seeking to justify himself. And guys, aren't, aren't we all doing that? In fact, as, as Catherine and Garrett head to Thailand, and even though 0.3% of the people in Thailand know Jesus, and that's all, chances are most of the people in that country are doing something to seek to justify themselves. Because God has put eternity inside the heart of every single human being. And there is a God-sized hole and a longing that all of us have to be made one with our creator. And until that happens, we will try to fill that hole with any number of other things to try to get right somehow. So I don't know if it's necessarily horribly wrong that this guy is actually seeking to justify himself, because so am I, and so are you. The question is, who are you going to for justification? Do you think you can do it on your own? It's like say we all go to the same restaurant. Like hey guys, I'm I'm taking you out to lunch after this. I don't care what restaurant it is. Like, the bill comes. And I said, I'm taking you out for lunch. And I see the bill and I swallow hard and go, I don't have that much money. You can't pay that bill, okay? And then mathematically I'm going, actually I do. I don't know that I actually would I need a bigger thing. Like, I'm going to buy everybody a car, okay? Like, and and the, the, the truth is that this is a level of, I am going to spend money that I think I have to justify myself. And whatever the bill comes back in, I look, my eyes get big and go, I can't pay that bill. And that the purpose of this parable, because here's the thing that's so crazy. Jesus could have said to this man, No, dude, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death. You have fallen short. You deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pieces of the Roman road to salvation. But Jesus does not take this guy through that journey. He tells this guy a story. Guys, don't underestimate stories. We sang the song Rescue Story earlier in this worship service. And if you know Jesus, you have a story. And people want to hear, whether they know it or not. They want to hear your story. They need to hear your rescue story. This story had to tug on the heartstrings and stimulate the intellectual mind of every listener here. What's the story? There's a man. We don't know anything about this man's credentials. And he's on a journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Y'all know, did you read about that road? 17 to 20 miles, starting at like 3,000 feet above sea level and going all the way down to like some 1,200 or 1,600 feet below sea level. This is a downhill walk. But in this downhill walk, there's lots of rocks and there's lots of places to hide. And this was known as the, the Red Way or something like that, which basically meant robbers were always on this road. It was not safe to travel back then. And if you did, if you were smart, you traveled with other people. This guy seems to travel by himself. Now, let's think about what we do when we think about us. Is somebody worthy of our help? We may look in much the same way that we would think and go, well, gee, I mean, this guy was stupid from the get-go. He decided to travel the most dangerous road by himself. He got mugged by robbers. His bad. He got mugged, right? And he's beaten. And he's left half dead. Look at verse 31, now by chance. I believe every word in the Bible, even though this is an English translation of the original manuscript, matters. Now by chance. Was it by chance? It may have been by chance according to this priest, but it was not by chance according to God and his divinely orchestrated movement in the world. He he knows every thought we think before we think them. He knows every route we take, every moment of every day. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. If he's going down the road from Jerusalem, chances are that he has participated in worship at the temple. And he passed by on the other side. But I skipped a part. Because I'd like to think, well, he passed by on the other side. Maybe he didn't see him. What's the the verse say? He saw him. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, there's a lot of thoughts on why the priest did this. This dude's half dead. If he really was dead and this guy actually touches him, he becomes ceremonially unclean and unable to actually perform his priestly duties. So maybe he's saying, well, my job does not allow it. Now guys, I understand there are policies and protocols that are in place at workplaces, but how often have you or me sometimes hidden behind a policy or a protocol and failed to actually help someone in need of help? And we've used that as the reason why. Whether that's his motive, or maybe he's late for dinner, or he has an important appointment to teach somebody about the love of God, You guys are chuckling because you see the disconnect, right? He leaves someone created in God's image dead on the side of the road, half dead. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side as well. A priest and a Levite, they both see and they both pass on the other side. Verse 33, we meet the Samaritan. Some commentators have said that if Jesus would have said a common Jew, that a lot of Jesus' listeners would have applauded because many of the common Jews did see the corruption within the religious leadership system back then. And they go, way to go, Jesus. You just took it to the people. And that, you took it to the powers that be. You took it to the leaders of the religion The thing that Jesus does is Jesus actually takes it to everybody when he says, but a Samaritan. They look and go, what's a Samaritan doing on this road? They don't belong here. Does everybody know that we were the faithful ones when the Assyrians actually invaded us and we made sure that we would only marry Jews, but those people compromised. And guys, this is back in 722 B.C., Okay, you're talking about a prejudice and a racism that goes 700 years in the history back then. They intermarried with those guys and they made themselves corrupt and then they decided to set up another religious site and they said, that's where you go and we hate these people. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, as he journeyed, he's going on a trip came to where he was and when he saw him and here's the missing link he had compassion he cared uh, Garrett and, and Catherine highlighted Luke ten two, same chapter of the Bible he's looking out and at least in the, the Matthew section of this which I think is in uh, Matthew 9 maybe It says that Jesus actually had compassion in the same section. And it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The priest is not a laborer in the harvest field, really, according to meeting the need of this man. And neither is the Levite. And then here comes a Samaritan has yes, compassion. Um, I heard a couple of weeks ago in a community group uh, a man that said he had an opportunity to preach and teach in lots of different spaces and places and was a part of the Billy Graham ministry for a while. And he said, I just, I ran out of gas. I just had nothing left. And I had to tap a friend to preach that night. And he preached and People came to know Christ and people responded at the time of invitation. And I just remember sitting on the stage and asking myself the question, do I really love these people? Am I in it for the Lord or am I in it for me? You see, compassion is birthed when actually you care very deeply about the spiritual and physical well-being of another person. Samaritan had compassion. And it's interesting, it was compassion that led to action. Guys, true biblical compassion. And I am guilty sometimes of saying, Hey, I'm praying for you. And I do genuinely seek to pray for people when I say, I'm praying for you. But I don't often enough ask God as I'm praying. Hey God, and what in addition to praying for this person might you be calling me to do? Compassion plus action. James says it this way. Faith without works is dead. That true biblical faith does lead to godly works of action. Notice he did not ask the man We don't know if the man would have been able to respond. He was half dead, which most people think means dude was knocked out. Hey, would it be okay? Or hey, do you need a hand? I've noticed I ask that question when it's very clear somebody does need a hand. Somebody's on the side of the road with a flat tire. Hey, do you need a hand? Now granted, we have these wonderful things called cell phones where you can call AAA and other people to help you. But sometimes... God does make it abundantly clear what is an action that I can do to help another human being. But in order to really do that, we have to say, God, I'm gonna set down my agenda. I'm gonna step away from my plan and I wanna be available to what you may want me to do in this moment. Sometimes we just worship our own schedules too much. What's he do? He goes up to him. He binds, bounds his wounds, pours oil and wine on him, and then sets him on his own animal. So now the Samaritan has given him his vehicle, and he's walking along and takes him to the inn, and takes care of him there. Somebody in men's Bible study noticed this time that so I never realized he actually stayed at the end with this man for a while. And then when he does eventually need to go, he pays it forward to denarii. A denarii was like a week's worth of wage. Some people think in today's economy that the dude Samaritan prepays for a two month stay for this guy in the end. And then says, and I'm gonna come back And when I come back, I'll pay whatever else this person needs. This dude is generous of his time. He's generous of his funds, his money, his treasure. And then the crazy thing, at the end of the story, Jesus asks the clincher question here. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? One commentator said, this expert in the law is still unwilling to say the word Samaritan. So he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. People have said an application, and I mentioned this at the beginning, is God calls us to live this way like the Samaritan, and he does call us to live this way. But you and I cannot, in our own power, in our own strength, live this way. You can't do it. There's a lot of things in the Bible. God calls you to do something you can't do apart from him. So God knew in sending Jesus that ultimately at the end of the day, that he would be the one to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. A few of you guys heard this in small group Bible studies this week, but this parable of the Good Samaritan, when it's taught in America, the natural default of the American is to put themselves in the place of the Good Samaritan. I am the one who is able to be the benefactor. I have the resources and the ability to help. The question is, will I? This parable of the Good Samaritan was taught in Africa. And the response of the Africans that heard it was, well, I guess when you're half dead on the side of the road, it doesn't really matter who will help you as long as somebody does. But they immediately saw themselves as the one that had been robbed and beaten in need of assistance. I don't want to be overly critical of our interpretation of this as Americans, but I do want to be curious in a healthy way. Why is it that in our culture, we see ourselves as the one that is not robbed, beaten, and stripped naked? Because last time I checked, both the effect of sin and our own sinful decisions and the flesh and the devil and the world have kicked the blank out of us in ways that we need to come to grips with. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy And you can be standing upright with a nice car and a nice home and a nice portfolio of finances and a respectable person and inside you are half naked beaten on the side of the road. And the funny thing is, if you are that person who looks on the outside like you've got it all together, those late hours of the night when you're like tossing and turning, you know, deep down inside, there's an emptiness in you. And Jesus says, I have come. I've come with the oil and the wine. I've come with compassion. I've come to put you on the donkey, and I've come to take you to a place where you can experience healing and restoration and salvation. And forgiveness. Do you hear it? That call for you. That's what Jesus is doing for you. There's an allegory that a lot of Christian fathers, church fathers from days gone by, have said that when Jesus, who's the ultimate good Samaritan, takes the man to the end. He says the end is the church. And that Jesus has actually paid the church with spiritual gifts, all of the resources that the body of Christ needs so that when one comes off the street and comes to find healing and forgiveness and help and hope, we have everything we need And then Jesus is this good Samaritan says, and you know what? When I come back, I'll pay you more. And this glimpse of the second coming of Jesus, that Jesus is coming again, and when he comes back, he'll take care of us then too. And this also applies to he sends us out to where the rescued become part of the rescue mission. And, uh, you know, Catherine and Garrett are gonna have their antennas up really, really high in Thailand when they go. But what I've loved about interacting with them is by God's grace, their antenna is up in the here and now also. And it may be a little more sensitive When they're in Thailand. But the truth is, you don't have to wait because a lot of us aren't going to Thailand this summer. But what would it look like if you and I say, okay, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. You do this and you live. There is existing and there is really living. And Jesus said, really living is being aware of what I'm doing in the midst of my people and trusting that I will give you all the resources you need to bring healing and help and strength and mercy and love to the people in your midst. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of this parable. Thank you, God, that you saw us when we were beaten stripped half naked, half dead on the side of the road and you, you came to us. Lord, I pray that we would never, ever lose sight of that truth and that as we meditate on that, that you would help us by your spirit to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind and that we would genuinely love our neighbor, which is everyone like we love ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a, an opportunity, a, a call of response, a, a song of response, but I'm gonna kind of give an invitation to you guys just to consider something as, as we hear and sing. Um, this is a, a friendly, safe room to be in. I didn't get any rotten tomatoes thrown at me. You guys, for the most part, were very attentive listeners. But uh, there are needs here in this place. There are people that are hurting here. And the last thing Jesus wants you to do is to walk out that door without coming to him. And I've said often that we don't, church is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. We go to worship corporately together because it's a way we get to Jesus. But it is possible to go to a church service and miss Jesus in the midst of that. And Jesus doesn't want us to do that. And I'll acknowledge that as one of your pastors here, I have sometimes been the priest and the Levite. I look and see. Nope, don't want to get into that. And chances are, sometimes you have been the priest and the Levite. But Jesus is always one who sees us and has compassion and comes to us to meet our need. And often he invites us to do that for one another. So I'm going to ask you, if you're willing to just ask the Lord, God, what do you want this next five or so minutes to look like? Is there someone here that I need to go up to and hug or encourage or pray with? Do I need to come forward and just say, Jesus, I'm going to own it. I'm barely putting one foot in front of the other right now. Or, Jesus... Help me be one who notices when there are people half dead on the side of the road, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and help me be one who responds. Whatever that looks like during this time, the invitation is from Jesus to you and to me. Say, you can come to him during these moments. So uh, whatever that looks like for you, you what he tells you.
1: Go before you go before
0: Thank you for the faith that you are showing today and knowing that there is the perfect good one, Jesus, who always has compassion and never lets us go and tells us we'll never have to walk alone. Whether it's a triumph or a failure, whether we feel like we have all the friends in the world or we feel like we don't have any friends at all, he is that friend that sticks closer. Than a brother. And, uh, you know, the back wall there has the verse, it's James one twenty two. It's just the words that says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So as we leave this place today, the invitation is that we would notice and be aware of the people in our midst and uh, his love, will fill us and overflow out of us to touch the people we come into contact with. Let's receive this benediction. And now, God, to you, it's all about you. It's all about your son, Jesus, who came on the road of our lives and picked us up and brought us healing and help. Father, fill us with your love so we can love like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Feel free to reach out to Catherine and Garrett, and God bless you as you go.